Hello world, Solo here. Uh, I'm a blacksmith, woodworker, and massage therapist in Midcoast, Maine. And my business is Hands and Hammer. Here to talk again about something. I got some more doubts. Hopefully you enjoy it. So today I wanted to do something that went beyond just massage therapy, because that's what my first few episodes were, were basically focusing on. Today I want to do something that expanded out to my other interests, hobbies, and business idea, you know, what I do. Blacksmithing, woodworking. So the inspiration for today's episode is a phrase that I have heard so many times in my life. They don't make them like they used to. I hate that phrase. It... It irks me to my core. And so today, what we're talking about is new versus old. You know, do they make it like they used to? Do they not? What's good about it? What's not good about it? And why does that phrase bug me so much? We're going to get into it. So, let's go back to my, my personal experiences. My first blacksmithing teacher. My first blacksmithing teacher was a true traditionalist. He uh, was trained in a traditional guild at a uh, reenactment village. And he really stuck to that. In his shop, he didn't use any skills, any tools that were developed past about 1920. He really wanted to keep it traditional. And there's something fantastic about that. There's something wonderful about doing traditional things in the old manner for the sake of continuing that knowledge and preserving that way. There is something great about that. Uh, he took it too far, though. Um... He felt as though modern blacksmiths who were using propane instead of a coal forge weren't blacksmiths and they were taken away from his craft. That's not true. That's not the case at all. His argument was the coal was what made the steel black. It's the steel oxidizes at that high temperature, having a scale on it. That's what makes it black. He argued that a coal fire was better because it was a higher carbon fiber fire and it could put carbon into the steel. The fact is that you're losing carbon when you get steel that hot in either case and the difference is negligible. Like, the number of heats that it would have to take you to have a noticeable difference is so much that it just it doesn't matter anymore. It, 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 you, you ruined the piece because you put it in and out of the fire so many times that it's not good enough steel to be not. And that would be a lot of times. <laughs> like, it's... A blacksmith is someone who heats up steel and hits it with a hammer. Doesn't matter if you're doing it in charcoal forge, coal forge, propane forge, induction forge. That is not what makes someone a blacksmith or not. The kind of forge they use does not matter. 
But he had all these sorts of stories that have been dispelled. He had myths about, not really myths, old beliefs. You know, there's a reason they believed this. Trial and error showed this to be the case back in the day. And a lot of these stories just sort of perpetuated and stayed around. He wasn't up to date on the modern metallurgy science. And he thought he was a better blacksmith because of it. And that's what I mean by he took it too far. He thought that doing blacksmithing in a traditional manner made him better, not different. Now, yeah, there's wonderful things about doing blacksmithing and, and any sort of craft or, or preserving things. It, it's awesome to preserve the old ways, but it doesn't make you better. It makes you different. Inversely, people who are all about doing new things aren't better either. All right, I'm going to get there. I, before I started becoming a massage therapist, I was in general construction. And my old boss used to hate working on old buildings. Uh, we'd be working on an old building, some old timer, because he grew up in the area. His father was a builder in the area, too. Some person he knew since he was a, a kid would walk by and look at the beautiful old building we might be working on and go, oh, geez, they don't make it like they used to. And he would turn over and shout, good. We shouldn't make them like we used to. And he has a point. With construction, with buildings, I worked on new construction, you know, building things from scratch with him. I worked on old construction, uh, buildings from the 1800s or older. And I worked on things in the middle. And the more modern it was, generally speaking, the less work there was to do on it. And part of that is just age degrades things, but part of it also was how things were built. Um, you know, whether something was built new or old, depending on how it was built, is going to determine on how easy it is to replace the part that needs to be re replaced. Was it put in with screws that you can just take out? Or was it a piece underneath a piece that has nails in each layer that you have to rip out and you have to, like, replace everything to replace this one piece? That's not really determined by whether it's new or old. That's determined by the builder. But the kind of materials used, modern materials last a lot longer. For better and worse, there's some environmental issues with that, potentially. Depending on who you ask, that's actually a really complicated thing. Um, but that's, you know, another time. Maybe I'll get into the environmental issues and benefits of using plastic in construction. And I hate plastic, but there are significant benefits. The point is that, generally speaking, the newer buildings were made in a way that was more efficient, that was stronger, that was sturdier, and was made with better materials, generally speaking. So, sometimes it's good that we don't make them like we used to. But, but that phrase, it came from a real place. It came from an important place of people being very frustrated with modern things 
hide a sucking compared to the old things that you see still around. You know, classic example, I should have looked this up before I started recording this. <laughs> there is a road in Rome that is hundreds of hundreds of years old. Beautiful stone road. And it's still around. And yet our asphalt roads, especially here in Maine, need to be repaved every friggin' year. So we don't make roads like we used to. A lot of that is, though, that's, that's one road we're looking at to compare to how many others. The things that lasted are the things that were built right. The few things that were really built to stand the test of time. And we can still build things that good today. We haven't forgotten how. I mean, when you see a house that's been around for a few hundred years, think of how many houses were built at the same time that fell down. This one was maintained or was built better. Uh, a classic example of this with, with knives. Old kitchen knives. You go to an auction, you go to an antique store, and you find a kitchen knife that's got some rust on it. People go, oh, oh, that's, that's a good knife. That is a better knife than any knife you'll get today. You should buy that one, clean it up, and sharpen it. And compared to most knives you'll get today, yeah, it's a lot better. But when you ask people, why is it so much better? These people who are, are tooting the, the, the old ways is the better ways will say, well... The steel was just better back in the day. They, they can't make steel like they used to. That's not true. We did not lose the recipe for how to make superior steel. In fact, we can make better steel than ever before. We can make better knives than ever before. The thing is, the same technology and processes that have allowed us to do this the, the giant factories and the, the detailed scientists who have figured out all these processes to make such incredible steel and better knives than ever before, have also figured out how to make cheaper knives than ever before. We, we didn't lose the recipe of how to make good steel. We can make better steel than ever, but we can also make really, really cheap steel too. And so that's why when you go to the store and you buy a cheap knife, it's not very good. And if you go to an antique store, you can spend almost the same amount of money on an old, old knife that's way better. Because they couldn't make it as cheap back in the day. And that's where the phrase of they don't make them like they used to comes from. Because back in the day, they couldn't make it as bad as we do today. But they also couldn't make it as good as we do today. So this really raises the question of new versus old. That's where it comes from. But most things that we can make today, we can make better than ever before in the history of mankind. And that is incredible. That is awe-inspiring. And yet we are also able to mass produce things cheaper and worse than ever before in the history of mankind. And that is depressing. There's size of it that's actually potentially good too. Sometimes mass production of things is more efficient, is better. It 
gives the ability to help more people sometimes. But most of the time, it's depressing. This same sort of mentality applies to medicine as well. Uh, we are starting to look at traditional medicines. Uh, integrative medicine is starting to look at traditional medicines. Uh, even non-integrative medicine, traditional Western doctors are starting to look at traditional medicines from around the world and, and seeing merit there, seeing things that we had missed before, only we clearly hadn't missed before because this is a traditional old medicine, but things that Western medicine, modern medicine had overlooked, had ignored, and just brushed aside. You know, it, a lot of the history of, of Western medicine and Western culture is throwing the baby out with the bathwater, is, oh, this spot here I debunked, and so the whole thing is worthless, let's throw it all out. We're retracing our steps now, and we are starting to seriously look at a lot of these traditional things, starting to look at the old ways again and say, so we, we maybe we were right about throwing out this part, but we shouldn't have thrown out everything. Let's, let's look at it and bring some of that back and, and see what we can learn from this here. Um, and, and with doing that, we're finding more plants, more medicines, even more techniques, and we're learning things about the human body that some traditional medicines, Chinese medicine included, they they kind of knew this. They they found certain buttons to press on people. And now we're looking back at it and going, well, they they had something here, and we don't understand it yet. Like, they clearly didn't understand it to the extent that we feel we must understand it now, but they still knew it was there, and so it's worth looking into more. And and that's great. But again, let's not forget the fact that modern Western medicine is able to do things that no traditional medicine could have even dreamed possible. So again, the new is capable of incredible things. The old is too. Neither is better than the other. Uh, anyone who's been around long enough has seen things become popular, disappear. Become popular again, disappear again. But when it comes back, it becomes popular again. It's got a new twist, a new name. It, it sounds fancy. It sounds like this person just invented it for the first time ever. Sometimes these are bad ideas that make the cycle. Sometimes these are good ideas that make the cycle. An example of a bad idea that makes the cycle is uh, my wife and I back in college worked on a goat farm for 10 weeks. We had to do an internship in college, and so we went to Ireland and went woofing, uh, working on a goat farm. And I heard a story while there. The, uh, the old goat farmer talked about machine milking. And he said that when milking a goat, you have to alternate. You have to milk one nipple, then milk the other nipple. I hope that language is acceptable to people. But you have to do one, then the other, and you have to give a break. It needs to have that rhythm or it will damage the udder. And that a long time ago, uh, around the time he was first starting to get into 
goat farming, so I think it was like 40 years ago. Uh, he's been at it a while. And that was when I was there, and I haven't seen him for about 10 years now. So, that's why I say about 40 years, because I don't think it was 40 years ago when I was first there. Anyway, I'm back to the point. Someone had the brilliant idea of making a milking machine that didn't stop. It would just be milking the entire time. It didn't have that same rhythm and relaxation and, and rest. It just uh, made sure to just keep milking. Uh, I don't fully understand the science or, or, or the methodology of how that worked, but that was the basic idea. And it damaged a lot of udders. And so that became bankrupt you know no one was going to buy it because it hurt their goats and it, it went it went away and everyone knew that was now bad and about 10 20 years later someone had the same bright idea again and went through the same cycle and that sort of thing happens all over the place we, we forget to look you know when when something's not being done and it seems so obvious sometimes there's a reason sometimes you need to look at the old ways and try and understand why. But then there's plenty of times when coming up with something that seems obvious and seems like it should be there, and it should be. It was just forgotten about or discarded for some reason that we don't understand. An example in the massage world is engagement techniques. You know, every now and then a new company will come along and advertise this as their, their new thing. Uh, an engagement technique is a technique where you are moving the muscle as you're working on it. So for my bicep, I can work the bicep, but I can also move the bicep as I'm working it, and that is engaging it. And most massage therapists know this or do this in some manner, but having it advertised as a specific technique in its own way there are some people who are really trying to educate people about it. Then there are some people who are trying to make a buck off of it. And sometimes it's hard to tell which is which. Uh, there's... I know there's a lot of other examples of things that come and go. Breathing. Breathing techniques actually is a good one. Uh, a new book called Breath. I haven't read it yet, but I've heard phenomenal things about it. And apparently, in it, the guy did a lot of research, a lot of journaling research on how the importance of the breath had been studied, had been looked at, and then forgotten. And then it had been studied and been looked at and sat, found how amazingly important and how wonderful breath is, and then forgotten. And then it's going through another resurgence now. And this is one, what? I don't know why we forget. This is a very old, you know, you look at the history and you can see things that were studied, that were done, that were good and lost. And you can also see things that were supposed to be lost and somehow people bring back. And so, at what point is it new or old in that case? But it's still all the same kind of idea of... I don't think new versus old should be a thing. Uh, another 
in my notes here, another thing I was supposed to mention was designs of knife and axe styles that have come in and out of fashion. And there are a lot of them that people are always looking for the perfect knife that can do everything. And that's not how it works. Uh, you're not going to have a knife that is beautifully designed for slicing and stabbing and chopping. Uh, for those who might not know, slicing is going across something. You're, you're, you're slicing a, a piece of meat or, or a vegetable. Chopping is going straight through. And stabbing is the point going into something. And there's times when you want one or the other, and you can't really make something that's going to be perfect for all three. You know, the best chopper is probably an axe. You know, that's literally what the axe is doing, is trying to chop down a tree. Axes don't stab. They, they don't have a point to stab with. It just doesn't really work unless you have a bearded war axe or something like that but that's not typically how it's done knives can chop you can make a chopper and you might be able to get two of the three you might be able to get a knife that can stab and slice or slice and chop but you're not going to get something that is the best possible of all three you can try and balance them out and make a knife that you like. But typically speaking, a knife is made for a purpose. Say, similar with axes. You know, there's actually a lot of different designs and styles of axes, depending on are you trying to chop down a tree? Are you trying to split wood? What kind of wood are you trying to split or chop down? And these all have slight variations in the geometry and size that you're going to make the axe. And every now and then, people try and come up with a new design, something that hasn't been done before. I remember seeing one on Facebook a few years ago. It was it was a really neat design. It was an axe design for chopping wood that had this like hook on the top. So as it went down, it would swing over, popping the two pieces of wood apart. And if you get the right kind of wood, that actually is a really good idea. It works really well in some of the videos I saw. But that doesn't work with all kinds of wood. And so it's potentially an improvement. It's certainly another idea. I love the fact that someone came up with it and made it and did a new thing. But he advertised it as if it was the next greatest thing. He talked about how axes haven't been improved upon for a hundred years. It just stagnated and here, now we have the newest scientifically fanciest whatever acts and sometimes things are really hard to improve upon you know if it worked for a hundred years it's still going to work today that doesn't mean it can't be improved upon it doesn't mean there isn't a better way it just means that is a time-tested way <clears throat> um you know, again, you do get new discoveries, though. The Western medicine. Just the vast majority of Western medicine is new discoveries. The things we're able to do to, to battle cancer, to do uh, heart surgeries, to do non almost non-invasive surgeries with little lasers are certainly less invasive. Uh, technology. Just 
this video on my phone that's of this kind of quality in the internet. These are brand new things that have improved a lot of our lives in a lot of ways. <sighs> Oftentimes the new things are dispelling old myths, you know. <laughs> There's so many old myths that have gotten dispelled in massage and blacksmithing that people were doing it like this for for a hundred years and it clearly worked but you can make something just as good a lot easier uh it's a joke but there are people who really did believe this there's all sorts of superstitions when quenching a knife when hardening a knife you must do it facing north with the full moon and the wind at your back. Some ridiculous thing. No goat must be within 10 miles. Actually, the no goat within 10 miles is from glass blowing. Again, there were some ridiculous theories when they didn't really understand the science, the chemistry of what they were doing. And it was kind of trial and error. Once something worked, they were like, okay, we have to mimic this exactly. And when they finally figured out how to reproduce it, they looked at everything and they said, we cannot change a thing. And that led to a lot of really silly superstitions. But as, you know, the younger generations came up and started looking at things and started experimenting with new things, they realized, you know, this works too. You know, we, we can have a goat nearby. That doesn't affect the whether the glass is going to crack or not. That's that's not important. The, the full moon might affect the tides, but it's not going to affect this bucket of oil. You know? And there are some things that made it harder to that were discovered. Uh, in blacksmithing, when quenching a knife, depending on the steel, depends on how quickly you want it to cool, but... Typically speaking, you want to quench a knife in oil. A lot of people will use used motor oil. And it works. It hardens the knife, but not as controlled a manner, not as effective a manner as proper quenching oil. And a lot of old blacksmiths don't really want to accept that. But it's been pretty well proven. <laughs> that old motor oil is not the best thing to quench a knife in. I'm not just talking about for your health, though that too. Canola oil though, which was originally developed for industrial purposes, is, but only a couple times. After a couple times, it's gotten flashed and heated up so much that the chemical makeup shifts and changes and it's not gonna cool as evenly and quickly anymore and so every few knives you got to swap out the canola oil or buy more expensive quenching oil that can last a little longer and again my first teacher we used peanut oil and we reused that peanut oil again and again and again and then when I was softening the knife because when you harden a knife it becomes super brittle too brittle you have to soften it a little bit. That's just kind of how steel works, is you can't harden it to the point you want. You harden it all the way, 
and then you soften it to the point that you want. And when you soften it to the point that you want, you need to cool the whole thing evenly. The speed that you're cooling it doesn't matter. Uh, but you need to cool it evenly. So you either set it out in the air, or you dunk it in some water or oil. If you're not heating it up so much that you have to use oil, but, so you typically use water. What you don't want to do is run it under the faucet because now you're cooling this spot and then this spot and then this spot and you're cooling the top faster than the bottom. That is uneven cooling and that can lead to issues. You might get lucky and it won't, but it can. And so the important thing is to cool it evenly. What my first blacksmithing teacher said is that as you're cooling it, the chemical matrix is shifting and when you get to the point that you want, you have to quench it to lock it in there. It's one of these old myths. It's, it's a great narrative. It clearly worked, but it's not necessary. It's, you are shifting the chemical matrix. Um, but once you get it to that point, as long as you aren't continuing to heat it, as long as it's not staying at that temperature, time and temperature are the things that will soften steel. And it has to be at least 200 degrees. The steel itself has to be at least 200. I think it's a little higher to even start doing that. So if you got it in an oven at 400 degrees for two hours, turn off the oven and open the door, almost instantly you've got the air coming in to cool it. And maybe it'll still be hot enough for another 15 minutes, but after that it'll probably be under the 200 degree point. Or you know, quickly enough it'll come under you can let it air cool and it will still lock in that matrix. So many more examples here I could talk about. I could talk about welding. When welding first became a thing, it was used in industrial purposes. The first ship that was welded together instead of riveted together, there were people that wanted to sink it purposefully just to prove that welding doesn't work because they were riveters, because the old ways work better. Um, the earliest chain, you know, chain links that go together that you use to pull stuff on a farm or tow a truck out with, out of a ditch with, the first chain that was welded, because uh, traditionally chain would have either been forge welded, which is traditional enough, people were okay with it, or riveted. But machine, arc welding, uh, that was new, that wasn't trusted. And that's actually, typically speaking, a better weld than a forge weld. And depending on the situation, probably stronger than riveting even. Because it's literally welding, you're making the two pieces one. If you do it properly, if you get enough penetration, you can get the entire thing welded together. The first chain that were arc welded, farmers would buy because they needed chain. This was what was cheapest, but they didn't like it. They would throw it in a fire, soften it. Again, throwing it in a campfire is not going to, and then letting it air cool most steels is going to soften it. And then they would haul something really heavy with it. So it would distend or break. They literally would weaken the chain and then break it. So they go back to the store and say, this is crap. Give me the old stuff. If, they had, if they'd done that to the old stuff, it would have broken faster. 
a lot of people have trouble accepting things that are new. A lot of people have trouble accepting things that are old. You know, so in conclusion, if, if something worked for 100 years plus, it clearly is still going to work today. But that doesn't mean it can't be improved upon. It doesn't mean it can't be made better or added to somehow. And just because something's new and uses the latest technology doesn't mean that it will stand the test of time, either. What, what I like to say is that anyone who ignores the new is just as stupid as someone who ignores the old. There is so much to learn from both. You know, mistakes happen in both. There's... Have a healthy amount of skepticism towards both. Look at the old and look at the new. And that's what I try and do in my massage practice and when doing some of my artwork, working on metal and wood. So, hopefully you like this discussion. Let me know if you agree, if you disagree. Tell me your thoughts. Till next time.